Man, would you just help me thank the worship team? Let's put our hands together for them. Just leading us week in, week out in worship. So grateful for them, but I'm also so grateful for you. And especially if it's your first time, we want to say welcome to the exchange. I hope that you feel like you're at home tonight. My, my name is Mark. Uh, I get the privilege of serving as the college and young adult pastor here at Grace. And if it's your first night joining us, uh, I believe you came on a perfect night. We're in week four of a series that we've called What Jesus Never Said. Anybody been enjoying this series thus far? It's been pretty good, pretty strong. And tonight, as we continue in this collection, uh, What Jesus Never Said, you know, what I'm reminded of is many of us, when we first start following after Jesus, one of the things that I know to be true is um, we have a lot of emotion but not a lot of knowledge of who God is. Our hearts are wide open. We're so excited. If someone were like, yo, Jesus said run through the wall, I'm doing it. <laughs> but we, we lack some knowledge. And I think what's to be true about that statement is oftentimes our emotions can mislead us and cause us to misunderstand the life that God has called us to live. Not only that, I believe our emotions sometimes it could mislead us and we could have a misunderstanding of who God is. We call it our theology, our understanding of who God is. But today, in today's day and age, I believe not only can our emotions mislead us from understanding who God is, there's this thing called social media theology that we spoke about. I believe social media theology, if you know what I'm talking about, how many of you use social media, show of hands? Okay, not all of you are raising your hands. You're gonna learn it is a sin to lie in the house of the Lord. So. Um, I would say, and there's actually a study to support this, about 79% of Gen Z and the millennial generation actually use some form of social media. So here's what I know to be true. We've all seen this. Whenever you hop on social media, um, you can scroll for nothing but two minutes and you see a couple doing like their relationship reveal. You know what I'm talking about? Like they're standing there side by side, fierce face, holding each other's hands. They've been like dating for five minutes. They're like, to death do us part. We're in this forever. It's like, bro, you've been dating for five minutes. Relax, right? You know what I'm talking about. And what I think is so interesting about this is on social media, uh, many people, they'll use this term to refer to their relationships, uh, blessed. Like they'll post a photo of their boyfriend or girlfriend and be like, blessed. You know what I'm talking about? Like, blessed, man, I'm so blessed. Man, he's gorgeous, I'm blessed. I remember when I was in college, um, there was a girl on our soccer team, and um, I remember she had just gotten to a relationship, and she posted a photo of um, she and her boyfriend of, like I said, maybe five minutes, and it was like the relationship reveal photo, you know, clenching each other's fist and, you know, just pensive stare looking at the camera. And you guys remember, like, when Instagram first came out, like, we wouldn't use, like, a full caption. Everything was a hashtag. So, like, everything in this post was, like, hashtag blessed. Hashtag handsome, hashtag boo thing, hashtag honey boo. I remember someone posted in the comments, uh, based off of appearance, I wouldn't call that a blessing. Man, that's fighting words, you know, like, hold my earrings. <laughs> but it's like the nastiest, nastiest call out. But I believe just like that, we hear this term blessed, we see this term blessed, we hear all of these sayings. You know, live your best life, live your truth, do what makes you happy. And the truth about it is, although it may be a pithy phrase or a catchy phrase, it misleads us and it causes us to 
kind of have a misunderstanding of the life that God has called us to. And I want to focus on this simple phrase tonight. Because I, I see it on Instagram. It's the same thing that girl posts. Um, and girls do it all the time. And not only girls, but guys. My wife always checks me on that. Uh, we have this tendency on social media to say, the blessed life is the best life. The blessed life is the best life. And I know when you hear that, you don't automatically go, hmm, that's, that's off. And I know that's not inherently wrong or anything of that nature. But here's what I know to be true. Our idea of the blessing doesn't necessarily align with God's idea of the blessing. So here's what I want to do. I really just kind of want to work hard to help us redefine the blessing. I want to help us tonight redefine the blessing, because whenever I see that word blessed on social media, whether someone's referring to their boyfriend or girlfriend, or when they're talking about that vacation, like showing and revealing to the world, like their exotic travel lifestyle, or their fine dining and whining, and they're going out, and maybe they just got a new job, so they're posting that photo of their executive desk, and their cool office view, or that new apartment view, and everything is blessed, blessed, blessed. And I just want to teach on that because I believe tonight we need to have a better understanding of the blessed life that God refers to through his word. I believe we got to get this in our heads and our hearts tonight. And I want to teach on this because although this phrase, the blessed life, may not be inherently wrong, oftentimes it's misleading us and it causes us to get stuck on three things. Number one is this. If I'm not receiving these so-called blessings, God must be dormant or he isn't at work in my life. Second thing some of us think, for some of us, if we aren't receiving material blessings that other people have, it causes us to wrestle with our faith. For some of us, it leads us to question or believe that a God could even exist. On the other side of that conversation, I believe some of us, when we hear this idea of the blessing, some people, we've arrived at this idea that God is some form of a cosmic genie or extraterrestrial vending machine. And what we do, we just continue to put demands on God. We ask him for all of these different things. And if he doesn't come through, we decide to walk away. If he doesn't come through the way we desire him to do so, we fail to put our trust in him. And I believe wholeheartedly, some of us, we come on a Tuesday night and we want to do the Christian-y things, excuse me. We want to raise our hands. We want to sing the songs. We want to pray. We want to do all of this stuff, all for the sake of a blessing. And the Bible, said, Bible says God knows the posture of our hearts. And I want you to understand, you can't get around the Christian-y things and get saved. You got to surrender your heart to Jesus. I really want to preach this with, with some passion tonight because, friends, hear me. You can beg God. You can plead with God. You can cry out to God to prosper you and cause you to be rich. You, you can cry out to God and say, God, I want to be rich, more rich than Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. But I'm pretty sure it doesn't work like that. I'm pretty sure it just doesn't happen like that. You see, what I want you to know is our God doesn't just specialize in performing miracles. Our God doesn't just uh, specialize in performing breakthroughs. But that's not his primary goal or focus in our lives. See, some of us, we're, we're just pursuing God. We're showing up to church. We're doing all the christian things for a material blessing. And I'm here to tell you today, although God can do anything and everything, he is sovereign, he's a loving God, he's a kind God, he's a merciful God, he's a gracious God, but his top priority is getting to your heart. His top priority is getting to your heart. I need you to get that tonight. And in fact, we see this word blessed all throughout the Bible. We see it hundreds of times all throughout Scripture. 
And not only do we see this term blessed in scripture, uh, I think we see it in the world today. I think about uh, celebrities use this term loosely. I think about rap songs, we hear this term just thrown around loosely. I think famous people just kind of throw it around loosely and many of which they have no association to the Christian faith. And I heard this saying the other day or quote the other day by Ronda Rousey. Anybody know who Ronda Rousey is? Anyone know Ronda Rousey? Do you really? You're like, you know her personally? Okay, cool. Because if I were to say this, like I would hate for you to tell her and then she beat me up. If you don't know who Ronda Rousey is, uh, she is one of the most winningest female MMA fighters. And like, like, yeah, she's, she's jacked, like she's swole, like could come on the stage and beat me up in front of all of you guys in a second. But anyways, Ronda Rousey, after she won one of the most big fights in the history of female mixed martial arts, I believe the prize was $3 million. She said this quote and it stuck with me. She said, I'm living such a lucky and blessed life and I'm trying my best to deserve it. I'm living such a lucky and blessed life and I'm trying my best to deserve it. And this may sound good, but I am 100% certain wealth and riches isn't God's idea of the blessing. Wealth and riches isn't the reason why he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you. In fact, in Matthew 19, Jesus would say this, it's harder for the rich man, the wealthy woman, to get into heaven It's harder for them to get into the gates of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. Like this is Jesus's warning, but many of us, we are striving for wealth, riches, and possessions and ignoring his warning. So when it comes to this idea of the blessing, I believe it begs for three questions. What is the blessing that God holds for us? Who will receive the blessing? And how do we receive this blessing? And I love what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1. He explains the blessing this way. He says, All praise to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ. Before he made the world, God loved us, and he he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. You see, God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us, those of us who belong to his son. I love it in the NLT, but I also love it in the message translation. And Eugene Peterson Uh, He's the author of the message translation, and I I like to read the message translation just to support what I read in the NIV or the ESV when I study, and I see it more as commentary. This is what Eugene Peterson says in regards to Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 6. How blessed is God, and what a blessing he is to us. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and he takes us to high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down earth's foundation, he had us in mind. He had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us. Somebody say adopt us. Into his family through Jesus Christ. 
So the question is, what is the blessing that God has for us? And the Apostle Paul would say plainly this, it's the spiritual blessing that God has for us. It's the spiritual blessing that comes from understanding that Jesus Christ, he humbled himself to the point of death on a cross so we could be raised up to a place for the sake of eternity and have an eternal lasting relationship with God the Father. That's the spiritual blessing. That's the blessing the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's saying that Jesus, he humbled himself. He got off of his throne. The Father sent him down to earth where he put on the form of a man. He walked this earth for 33 years just like you and me. And in that time period, he was beaten, he was flogged, he was harassed, he was mocked, he was spit on, he was shamed, and he was crucified. So we could have a relationship with God the Father, that's the blessing. That's the blessing that we can receive and I need you to get this today. Friends, it wasn't a cross he died on, it was our cross. It wasn't a cross he died on, it was our cross. We were the ones that were destined for death by way of crucifixion, but no, God who's rich in his love and his mercy, he said, no, I wanna send my son instead of you. I wanna send my son, my perfect son, instead. Of you, So what does Paul say? He says we praise God for his glorious grace. He says we focus on that truth. We focus on that blessing that God didn't have to, but he did in the greatest act of love for us. And I love that word that Paul uses intentionally in Ephesians 1. He says God adopted us. He adopted us. And if you study this text, what you will quickly learn is in the Roman law, anyone who was adopted, any child that was adopted into a family, they would receive the same blessing, the same inheritance, the same rights as the biological children. So what does Jesus do? God now calls us heirs in Christ Jesus. He says, now you inherit everything that I give the rest of my children. That's the blessing that we receive, friends. But we're making this all about material blessings. No, it is the spiritual blessing that God is more concerned about. Why? Because the spiritual blessing gives us an eternal, everlasting hope and joy. See, what material blessings offer us is happiness. And how many of you know happiness is a feeling and feelings are fleeting? But I'm here to put you on notice today. Joy, it's everlasting. It's eternal. It comes with you today. It comes with you tomorrow. It goes with you next week, next month, next year, for the rest of your life. But you got to remind yourself of the spiritual blessing we have in Jesus. And the second question is, well, who receives this blessing? And in Matthew 5, I love that text so much because this is the beginning of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And we read this passage, the Sermon on the Mount, from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7. What we see is Jesus, he's on the top of a mountain. Many people were following him as he had recently started his ministry. And all the buzz was, man, everybody's got to hear from the Messiah. Everybody's got to hear from the Son of God. So all of these people start following after Jesus. It becomes a movement. And as Jesus is, he's now on top of this mountain one day. And the Bible says that his disciples followed him to the mountaintop. And many of us, when we read this, we think it was just the 12, but scholars would say it was hundreds of Jesus' followers. And as Jesus starts out in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, he doesn't just start out by spewing out words. He is very pointed in his speech, and he talks about the person who will receive the blessing in the kingdom. And we call the first portion of the Sermon on the Mount the Beatitudes. It's eight declarations from the mouth of Jesus that talks about the one who will receive 
God's blessing. Matthew chapter five, we're gonna start in verse three. It says, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole, whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice and righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Verse seven, it says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Verse eight, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. Verse 10, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for their kingdom of heaven is theirs. Verse 11, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. But be happy about this. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. For a greater blessing awaits you in heaven. And what Jesus was doing in this moment, he was letting his followers know, God blesses those who acknowledge their need for him in this life. God blesses those who acknowledge that they need a savior. God blesses those who abandon their lives and follow after him. Luke 9, 23, it says, take up your cross and follow after me. And if you know anything about carrying a cross, the act that Jesus performed, for many miles he carried his own cross. It was not easy. And I believe what Jesus is communicating, this life when we go to follow after Jesus, it is not easy. It's not easy. There may be suffering. There may be hard times. There may be sickness. There may be setback. There may be death. There may be hurt. There may be pain. There may be lack. But you're not living for today, you're living for eternity. I'm not worried about my circumstances today. I know I got a better tomorrow. I ain't worried about the pain of today. I know that God has a purpose and a promise for my life. I'm not worried about persecution. If they persecuted him, why won't they persecute you? And I just want us to understand and wrap our heads around this because the persecution that Jesus was talking about in this moment, he's telling his disciples. And when we think persecution today, what we think about is like Roman imprisonment. But the, 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 the persecution Jesus is speaking about is some of you, you're gonna be sought in two. Some of you, for my name's sake, you're literally gonna be thrown into a den of lions to be treated as food. Some of you, you're gonna be thrown into a vat of boiling oil. Some of you are gonna be beheaded for my name's sake. And I just got a question for us tonight. Does anything about that sound like lavish, luxurious living? But he says you will be blessed. But he says you and I, despite all of the pain, despite all the hardship, despite persecution, we will be blessed. So when Jesus, he, he uses this term blessed in the passage, certainly he's not talking about a lavish or luxurious lifestyle filled with uh, material blessings. He's describing the blessing that we will receive on the other side of this life. He, he's talking about an eternal blessing on the other side of this life. And I want you to hear me on this because I need us to get a greater revelation of who God is. I need us to get a better understanding of the life that he calls us to. See, the life that Jesus calls us to completely collides and crashes 
with the life of the world. With the worldly living that we see today, the life that Jesus calls us to, it completely clashes and collides with that because as a follower of Jesus, we know we're not living for today. We're living for the sake of eternity. See what Matthew 5 says in the Beatitude, in verse 3, Jesus says, be poor in spirit. When he says that, what he means is recognize you have a need for me. Recognize you need me in this life. Recognize you need to abide in me and my promises. But the world tells us, friends, be rich, be self-sufficient, strive to build your dream life. Verse four, Jesus said this, Jesus says, endure difficulty by finding comfort in me. But the world tells us, pursue happiness, even if that means going against our convictions. Verse five, Jesus says, pursue humility and put me first. The world says, pursue power, authority, and influence and make yourself your own God. Verse six is, Jesus says, obey my commands and abide in my word. But the world tells us, pursue your personal needs, follow your truth, live your truth, do what makes you happy, do as you please. Jesus says, live for me on earth so you can receive a blessing in heaven. And what the world tells us is, store up all of our wealth, store up all of our riches. I I don't want to just move from this because I think many of us will hear this message, but we'll go right back to it. And when I say we go right back to it, tomorrow you're going to wake up and you make an idol of your job. You make an idol of your significant other. You make an idol about how much money you can get in your bank account. And I just want to put this before you. I have never heard of someone who could take a U-Haul into heaven. I've never heard of it. I'm not sure we understand all of this stuff is meaningless at the end of the day. It doesn't go with you to the place that God is calling you to. Friends, he's more concerned about you receiving your spiritual blessing than any material blessing. And I, I, I gotta be honest here. I know there's a lot of people in this room tonight that maybe you grew up in a teaching or under a teaching called prosperity teaching. And I don't want to knock on other churches, I don't want to knock on any doctrines, but I want you to understand today, your faith is not hinged on what God can give you. Your faith should be hinged on what he has already given you through his son, Jesus Christ. I'm not trying to beat up other doctrines or belittle anyone else's beliefs, but what I know to be true is God doesn't say, believe in me and seek my hand. He says, surrender your life to me and allow me to transform your heart. It's not about his hand all the time. It's about allowing him to transform our heart. He wants to change us from the inside out. As followers of Jesus, our faith should not be hinged upon what God can do, rather what he has already done. I wrote it down this way in my journal. Earthly blessings always provide momentary happiness, but your eternal blessing will always provide an everlasting joy. Earthly blessings always provide momentary happiness, but your eternal blessing will always provide an everlasting joy. About a year ago, um, I went to go visit one of our missions partners here at Grace Family Church, and I was in the South Texas area, and then we actually crossed the border and went into Mexico for a little bit. And I remember as we were going into Mexico, we went went into an area that they call the the city square. They're gonna put a picture up here on the screen in a second. But I remember when we went into the city square, we were making our way around the area, and you can see afar the tarp that's covering that pavilion. 
And you can see all those little tents. You can see all the clotheslines with people's clothes hanging from it. And what I realized is all of these people that were here in this city square, that was their home. They were displaced. That was all that they had. And I was walking around and as you, you see the people there, you would think, man, they're just so overwhelmed and in distress. You see all the little kids instead running around with smiles on their faces and the parents sitting under trees trying to stay cool watching their children. And in fact, as I walked around and, you know, as I did what I did and I wanted to start praying over these people and talking and communicating with them the best of my ability, what I realized in that moment is I wasn't there to bless them. They were there to bless me. You see, what, what literally was the craziest thing for me as I was communicating with these people is they weren't, they weren't there crying and begging and moaning about their condition. No, they knew there was something else on the other side of this life that they're living for and looking forward to. These people were here and although they find themselves in a difficult place in life, they know that there's something greater on the other side of this life. What I realized to be true as these people were talking and communicating with us. They weren't dissatisfied. They weren't begrudged about their condition. No, they were filled with a joy that came from the hope of Jesus. They had a deep joy within their hearts that came from the hope of Jesus. And I want you to understand, maybe we could take a lesson from that. Because we need to get a greater revelation. Following Jesus, it's not about what he can do. It's about focusing on what he's already done. Following Jesus isn't all about what he can do, what he can give us. It's about what he has already done. And some of us, were waiting on God to come through for us financially. Some of us in the room tonight, we're waiting to see God heal a loved one. Some of us, we want to see God prosper and promote us in work. Some of us want to see God do supernatural works and miracles in our life. But I just wonder, if he didn't come through, would you still worship him? If he didn't do it, would you still call him Lord? Or is your faith hinged upon what he can do for you or is it hinged upon what he's already done what's your faith build on and can i tell you the difficult times in life will reveal it i love what ali said last week she said a tested faith is a trusted faith will you allow god to test you and see where you're at in moments of difficulty will you shrink back or will you stand firm and hold your ground would you stand on his promises? Would you still declare that Jesus Christ is Lord in the face of difficulty and persecution, in the face of doubt, and in the face of your darkest days? Will you still believe that there's light at the end of the tunnel? Or will you shrink back? I'm telling you, following Jesus isn't about what he can do. It's about what he's already done. I always talk about my daughter. My daughter, she's three months old as of this past Friday, and... Um, it's probably just the greatest blessing outside of my wife and uh, our daughter Harlan uh, many people ask me well how is parenting good question it's hard but I got an incredible wife okay because your boy has this problem where when his daughter starts crying in the middle of the night he's still asleep <laughs> what's so interesting is <laughs> One day, Michelle left me at home, just Harlan and I, and I'm like, I got this. I'm a super dad. I do this. Michelle, like, pulls off the driveway, and she texts me, baby, are you okay? I'm like, I'm good. I got this. Within moments, 
out like screaming, screeching, crying. So what I start to do, like change her diaper. Diaper's not wet though, what's going on? So I was like, yeah, she's supposed to eat in like four and a half hours. I'm like, what's going on then, Harlan? Talk. And what I realized, this became like a common trend. Like whenever my wife leaves, like Harlan decides to just throw a fit. And here's the thing about my daughter. She's three months old, but oftentimes when she's sleeping and she wakes up crying, for her, she goes, I want food. In her mind, she goes, I want food. But her dad knows she just needs more sleep. What I'm trying to communicate to you today is some of us, we've been disappointed with God because he's not giving us what we want. But friends, as, his, as your heavenly father, he knows what you need. As, as your heavenly father, he knows what you need. And the truth of it is this. God doesn't promise to give you what you want. He promises to give you what you need. Philippians 4.19, the apostle Paul says, and it is he who will supply all your needs from his riches and glory because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. He supplies our wants. No, no, no. He supplies our needs. I'm passionate about this today, though, because I believe, like I said at the beginning of the message, many of us, what we're making out of God is this cosmic vending machine or this cosmic genie, and we're just putting demands on him, and we're asking him for all of these different things, and what we're doing is in our Christian life, we're striving after material blessings and not abiding in the heavenly blessings. We're striving, we're, we're running after the promotion, we're running after the paycheck, we're running after the job, we're running after the relationship. And what that's causing us to do is go in the opposite direction that God is calling you to go. And I hurt for this generation because until we understand this, I believe so many people are going to continue to backslide in their faith, continue to believe God has abandoned them, continue to wrestle with God's promises for their life. But I'm telling you today, stop focusing on striving for the material and start focusing on living for the eternal. I heard this quote by a famous preacher by the name of E.V. Hill. He says, for those who were born once die twice but those who are born twice die once friends the blessing he holds for us is eternal life but will you continue to strive for the material or will you focus on living for the eternal and as I close some of you are saying how do I live out this message practically I wrote it down this way, very simple. Stop striving and start abiding. Stop striving and start abiding. Stop striving for wealth. Stop striving for riches. Stop striving for influence and material blessings. Stop striving after earthly blessings and start abiding in the truth that he has an eternal blessing for your life. Start abiding in the truth that he's filled with love for you. Start abiding in the truth that he will meet each and every one of your needs. Start abiding in the truth that he who knew no sin, meaning Jesus, he became sin for you so you could have relationship with God. Start focusing and abiding in that truth. And maybe I need to go a little bit deeper than that because when I talk about start abiding, I want to give you some practical handles to that. Number one would be this. We got to remember what Jesus did for us. 
We gotta remember what Jesus did for us on that cross when he humbled himself to the point of death. It was not for a material blessing. It was for a heavenly blessing. It was so you could have life and life more abundantly. It was so you could have relationship with God the Father. It was so you could find life and life more abundant. When I talk about remember what Jesus did, Instead of crying out to God and being disappointed and displeased with God when he doesn't come through the way you want him to come through, it turns you to start worshiping him. It turns you to just fix your mind on his promises. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. It turns you to his promises that he's a father to the fatherless. It turns you to his promises that he provides comfort to those who are broken and weary. Second thing I want you to do is not only remember, what I want you to do is repent. I think this is one of like the lost words of the church today, repent. And I believe when I say repent tonight and I talk about abiding in God, I believe that we, myself included, we need to repent for making God this vending machine. We need to repent for making God this cosmic genie. We need to repent for trying to force God's hand. We need to repent for all the times we asked God to do something and the moments when he didn't do it, we took steps back. We need to repent for the moments where we questioned his sovereignty in our life. We need to repent for the moments where we doubted he would do what he said he could do. We need to repent for the times where it seemed like it was impossible. We started saying, man, maybe it really is impossible and God can't do the impossible. We need to repent. We need to say, God, I'm sorry. And practically, here's what I want us to do. When I talk about repenting, it means to, to change your mind, to shift and change direction. I want you, instead of saying, God, I want to see your hand, I want you to start praying, God, I want you to transform my heart. I, I want you to change your prayer language. I want you to change directions over the next week till next Tuesday. I want to challenge us as a people. I want to challenge us that when we're praying and then when we're crying out to God, that we wouldn't be a people that say, God, here's what I need. God, could you do? God, would you? Till we start saying, God, would you transform my heart? I love what it says in Psalm 139. It says, this is a psalmist. He says, investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine me and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself, God. Whatever I've done wrong and guide me to the road of eternal life. Here's what I want to challenge us to do over the next seven days till next Tuesday. Early in the morning, just take two minutes. It takes nothing but two minutes when you wake up in the morning and maybe you don't regularly have a time with God. I want to challenge you. It takes two minutes. Open up your Bible to Psalm 139. Download the Bible app and highlight that verse. Make it your screensaver. Take a picture of it and pray that prayer. Lord, search my heart, investigate my life, call out anything within me. And here's the second part of the challenge. Don't pray for his hand. Ask him to transform your heart. God, I, I don't need anything, God. I don't need anything. But what I do need, God, is for you to change and transform my heart. Let that be your prayer for this upcoming week. And I don't want to wait for tomorrow. I want us to start tonight, the band and 
the team's gonna come out here. We're gonna create a space. We're gonna create a moment for us to do just that. We're just gonna take two minutes right now. We're just gonna focus on that truth. We don't need God's hand. We need him to search our heart. We need him to transform our heart. We need him to call out ways within us that are sinful and not aligned with him. The team, they're gonna come out here. They're gonna sing this song, Goodness of God. And you don't need to stand. I want you to just stay seated right where you are. But let's posture our hearts. Let's posture our minds on that today. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. Let's talk to him.